This morning we want to talk about prayer, and prayer is one of those topics that we, we all say, yes, let's talk about prayer, but it's really something that's very difficult, isn't it? As I've talked with, with Christians throughout the years and seen different surveys, it's amazing how many times prayer is one of those items that believers say, that's what I have trouble with. I have trouble carving out time for prayer or praying diligently or, or not falling asleep during prayer. And, and so prayer is one of those things that keeps coming up as something to work at. And so I wanted to start this morning just by asking you a question, letting you respond a little bit. Why is prayer hard? Why do we struggle to be diligent and give uh, enough time to prayer? What do you think? What's the challenge? Too many distractions. Absolutely. And in, in the screw tape letters, we're talking about how Satan tries to distract us. He would love to distract us from prayer. He already knows everything, so it just feels weird. Okay. Uh, a theological question. If God knows everything and we know that he's omniscient, then why pray? It, it feels weird. Um, and so we, we, we take that balance and we balance it with God has commanded us and asked us to pray. And somehow in his sovereign plan, he uses our prayers and, and answers those prayers. And so there is effectiveness to prayer. But that, that's a, a theological dilemma. Good. What else? We don't make time for it. We don't make time for it. Okay, what do we make time for? Okay, I was thinking a little more general, but the specifics are great. Facebook and TV and entertainment. There's truth there. So why do we make time for those things and not prayer? What was that? Immediate satisfaction or results. Immediate satisfaction that meets what I, I want to do right now. They're tangible. They're tangible. Good. Priorities. 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 Sometimes... I just don't think we think prayer is that important. I don't think we're convinced it makes that much of a difference, sort of back to what Kristen was saying. And so we make time for the things that are important to us, right? Those of you that like to feed your family, you tend to make time to go to work. And and if you don't, what happens? <laughs> you get fired and, and then all kinds of bad things happen. We make time for what's important to us. And so our challenge, and especially today as we come to God's Word, is prayer important? Is prayer important to us? What does God say about prayer? And we're going to talk very specifically about one small aspect of prayer. We, we could spend the next three months on prayer. So I hope you don't go away thinking, wow, he left some things out about prayer. Yes, <laughs> we'll leave a lot of things out about prayer that we could study in other passages but we want to take 1 Timothy chapter 2 and say, what is said about prayer in this chapter? What will get us out of the, the Sears wishbook mindset of, of, of prayer? Anyone remember the Sears wishbooks? A few of you do. Thank you. <laughs> I'm dating myself a little bit, but it was a catalog, and I remember doing the catalog of, and the, the, at Christmas time, the wishbook would come out of everything for kids and then tools for dad and all kinds of things for mom. And I can remember dog-earing pages and circling things and leaving it out where mom and dad could see, hopefully. And um, But sometimes we come to prayer with that mindset, don't we? I have my wish book that I'm going to go to God with because I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this. And then we're disappointed with God when we don't get everything we've wished for. 
That's another reason we don't pray, is I think we're disappointed with God at times. Because it's about what I want instead of about what He wants. And so today we want to come to the text and say, what does this text say about prayer? How will this help us see prayer as important? And context is everything. And we, we've studied that as we, as we work through God's Word. Context is so important. If I was to say to you, just with no context, boy, it was good to not have Happy and Andrew here and the high schoolers here this week. Without any context, how might that be interpreted? Sorry, I do like having you guys around. It might be interpreted that, man, I don't like having them around. It was good to get rid of them for a week. Now, in the context of we, we spent time in the service praying for them, and all week we spent time praying for them because we are praying that God would do a work on that mountain in their lives, then what does that statement mean? Man, I am so thankful for what God is doing and so thankful that they have time to get away. So context is everything. Now, keep in mind here, the context is being entrusted with the gospel. In chapter 1, over and over, we see Paul telling Timothy, you are entrusted. Last week, wage the good warfare. Fight the good fight. It's about the gospel. In fact, Paul goes off and just talks about his conversion and how amazing grace is and amazing mercy is. He can't get enough of it. It's about the gospel. Then in verses 5 and 6 today, um, we'll, we'll talk about the gospel again in 4, 5, and 6. And right in between is verses 1 and 2 that we sometimes take all by themselves and say, say, okay, God wants us to pray this way. Keep in mind, it's about the gospel. It's about the fight. It's about what we're entrusted with. And so what Paul is doing here is at the end of chapter 1, what we studied last week, he said, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, And he says, fight the good fight. Well, now the next step, and what he does starting in in chapter 2, is, okay, what's the first step in fighting the good fight? What does a good soldier look like? How do we win this battle? How do we fight this battle? And so verse 1 here starts with, okay, how, how do we act as entrusted saints? How do we wage good warfare? How can we be intentional? And so Paul starts by saying, First things first, it's about prayer. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. When we think of what a, a soldier does first when he prepares for a battle, he makes sure his gear is set, he makes sure he has ammunition for his gun, that's a good thing if you're about to go into a firefight. He makes sure everything is ready. Well, for the believer, the first thing that Paul says is it's about prayer. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, First of all then, and and that first of all is the idea of this is the most important. This is of primary importance. It's not just do this first, that's part of it, but it's do this first because it's the most important. And so Paul here is telling Timothy, if we're going to do first things first, let's start with the most important thing you can do to fight the good fight. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And again, the word I urge is a a strong request. It's a command. It's not just, would you please pray? It's pray. Pray. This is a strong command. An order. So he says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. 
And so right from the start, when he says, first of all, then I urge you, and he's tying that back to, to waging the good fight, if we want to be effective in God's purpose for us, the first question is, how much time have we spent on our knees? How much time have we spent on our knees? If you're concerned that a ministry that you're in or, or someone that you want to reach or a, someone that you're praying for at work or, or want to reach with the gospel at work, if you're concerned that there's not effectiveness, the first question to ask is, how much time have I spent on my knees? It's that important. And so Paul says this is of first importance. And so we see the first point there as Paul is saying, start by regularly praying big. Start by regularly praying big for everyone. Because if you catch what he says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And Paul is trying to, to expand Timothy's view of the world, to expand Timothy's view of what spiritual warfare involves. Say it's about more than just the circle you're in. It's about more than Ephesus. We need to be praying for the gospel to all people. That it would go to all people. We see several words for prayer there, and and lots has been written about what those mean. The first three are all pretty similar. Supplications, prayers, intercessions. Thanksgiving, okay, I know what that one is. That one's a little different. I, I get that one. But the first three, it's very interesting to think through some of the differences between those three because what Paul is doing is showing the breadth of prayer and, and how, how creative we can be in prayer and the different kinds of prayer. The word for supplications is, is the idea of coming to God with a deep spiritual need. Coming to God with a need, a deep spiritual need. It highlights our own needs. It highlights our own urgency. It's a request. One author says it's about our own insufficiency. And really, when we think about prayer, it's about our own insufficiency. It's about coming to God and saying, I can't do this on my own. Which is another reason why I don't think we put a priority on prayer. None of us like to admit we can't do things on our own. Well, I don't like to admit. I don't know about you guys. But coming to God with with supplication says, I need you. I can't do this on my own. The next term, prayers, there is a more general term for prayer. And it's used of of a conversation with God. In fact, this is the one word that is only used of a believer with God in in the Bible. And it's a desire to come to God to bring those needs in reverent, worshipful conversation. So whereas the first one is expressing our inadequacy, our need for God, this one's expressing our devotion to God. And there's times in prayer we're coming with requests and I need you. And there's times in prayer that we're coming just to talk with God. Just to be with God. Just to have communion with God. The final word there, intercessions, is the idea of pleading with someone on behalf of... of, Pleading with something, usually a superior, on behalf of somebody. It's an appeal for someone else, usually a bold appeal. This is when we bring up requests for other people. Lord God, I'm praying for so-and-so. I pray that you would do this in their life. That's intercession. Intercession requires an understanding of others. It requires an empathy for others. And then finally, thanksgivings. And this is the one we often leave out. 
Because if we think of, of prayer as just getting what we want and what we wish for, we forget that prayer is about giving God glory, giving Him credit for what He has done and what He has accomplished. It's thanksgiving for the work of God. But it's interesting. It says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And so it's not just thanksgiving for what God has done. It's thanksgiving for people. It's easy when we like them, right? But think about what what Paul is trying to tell Timothy and tell the church there. It's thanksgiving for all people. All people. Do you have people in your life that are hard to give thanks for? Yeah, this verse pretty much says, do it anyway. Give thanks for them. Find a way. And we we forget that. We forget that part of prayer is thanksgiving. I I told a story a a year ago of my daughter reminded me of this. And we have prayer prayer as a family. And at that point in time, um, Joelle was just sick. And Joelle's one of our missionaries, but she was still here. So probably a year and a half ago. And and for Alicia, two of her favorite people in the world are Joelle and Jackie. And, and so they're just on her mind all the time. And Joelle's sick, and so every night we'd, we'd be praying, and Alicia would pray for Joelle. Please help Joelle to get better. And so we'd go on and pray for other things, and then she'd always say, well, and don't forget about Jackie. I'm like, but, but Jackie's not sick, sweetie. She goes, well, I just thank God for Jackie. Wisdom from a child. Wisdom from a child to remember to thank God for people in our lives. To thank God for what He's done. It's part of prayer. It's an important part of prayer. I'd like to just stop for a moment. Last week we stopped and we prayed for the Royal Kids Family Kids Camp and those that went there. We prayed for the Wildwood Group. Amazing stories from both coming back of what God has done. I'd like to just stop and two people thank God for what He did this week. Thank God for answering prayer. So let's bow our heads together and just two people right where you're at. Give thanksgiving to God. Father God, you are you are so awesome. So amazing for what we've heard from Andy and soon the youth that have gone to Wildwood, maybe some of the youth who have gone to Royal Family Kids Camp will come back and to share how the Holy Spirit has been working uh, in ways that we don't know. And Father God, we thank you just for your faithfulness to this church, uh, for Village Bible Church and their heart for missions so that others can hear your love. Others will know that they can have peace, but your peace. That others will know that you love them so much that you say you sent your son to die for all people. So, Father, we just thank you for all that you have provided. We thank you for sending the whole, your Holy Spirit to dwell among us, to teach us and to show us that people need you, Father. We thank you for all the things that you have given us. We pray these things in your son's name.
Thank you, God. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We need to remember Thanksgiving. Thank you for being faithful to that and doing that. So the verse says, again, first of all, then I urge the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, basically prayers of all kinds, be made for all people. And understanding what's going on in Ephesus and the church there helps us understand why Paul is stressing all people here. Some of the false teachers were beginning to say, well, you, you, only certain ones get to be part of the in-crowd in the church. It was a, a pre-Gnosticism, and Gnosticism was this idea that if you had the special knowledge, you were part of the, the saved crowd. You were part of the special crowd, and you could lead. And so the church was starting to divide between insiders and outsiders. And so when Paul says, pray all kinds of prayers for all people, that meant something to them. And the challenge for us is, do we pray for all people? Do we, do we pray big enough? Do we think big enough? Do we pray for those that need Christ around the world? Do we pray for our missionaries? And that's the context here. Remember the context is being entrusted with the Gospel. And so these prayers are so that people will, reach, will be reached with the Gospel. So that people will accept Christ. I challenge us. Are we thinking of the world or do we pray for our own little circle? Do we spend time praying for those that don't know Christ to accept Him? And this gets really practical when, like I said, we think of people that we don't really care for. People that annoy us or maybe people that make us angry. The other night I was sitting in, in the, the family room and everyone in the family is in bed and asleep and um, all of a sudden outside the, the door I hear screeching and then a crash. And then some more screeching, and then another thud. And, and so I go running outside, because that's not normally what we hear in our neighborhood, and e- even though we live on a corner. And I go out, and I, I look across the street, and there's a, a car that is up over my neighbor's three-foot-high bushes, and onto the sidewalk that's backing up, attempting to back up, and drive down the street. And at that moment, it became a, a, a very much a community moment because all of the neighbors came out of their houses too and were, were watching this car go down and one of their cars almost got hit and we were going to go chase this car and you know all this neighbors do. And, and I can remember thinking as we're out there talking and calming down and these are the people I'm praying for. These are the people I want to reach with the Gospel. And at the same time, I'm angry about the white car. And then I'm studying this week and God is saying, okay, it was easy to pray for the people that are your neighbors. Why didn't you even think to pray for the guy in the white car who obviously has some real issues and needs Christ? And instead, instead of praying for him, you wanted revenge on him. Man, that was convicting. I didn't pray for him, well, not, not in a good sense, one bit. Do we pray for all people? Do we realize that God wants us to reach out to all people? Now, how do we put this into practice? How do we start by regularly praying big for everyone? We need to be praying for missions. But also, I encourage you to to remember to pray that you will have opportunities to share the Gospel. Do you have people in your life that you are praying specifically for to be saved? Because that's what the, that's the mission we're entrusted with. 
And if we're not praying in that way, we are failing that mission. God says, and we're going to cover this, I want all people to be saved. And if His mission is our mission, that's our prayer. It's a blank on your notes that you can write down. Maybe just some people that you, you haven't been praying for that you need to start praying for. For salvation. And see what God does. So Paul says to Timothy when he talks about waging the good warfare, start by regularly praying big and for everybody. Then in verse 2, he comes to a specific example, a more challenging example, especially for them. Praise for those in authority that they provide an environment conducive for our charge. Pray for those in authority. Verse 2 says, For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Context is being entrusted in the Gospel. But he's saying, okay, I, I've said to pray for everybody. Let's, let's make that real practical. And for them, it would be difficult to pray for those in authority. The kings and those in high positions would refer to their emperor, refer to the governors, to those that were in authority over them. And, and that wasn't going so well for the church at this point in time. The emperor was probably Nero, classified as one of the most horrendous and cruel emperors of all time. And Paul had the nerves to say, pray for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. A little coin on your notes there, that's a, a, one of the um, coins that was used during the reign of Nero, and that's a picture of Nero. And so they were being, they were being persecuted. When a great fire destroyed much of Rome in AD 64, Nero said, I need an out. Let's blame the Christians. And that triggered severe persecution across the known world. Christians were denied privileges in society. They were publicly butchered. They were burned. They were fed to lions. And Paul says, pray for your kings, for your emperor, for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Paul's echoing what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.44, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I am astounded that Paul wrote this. To pray for their enemies. To pray for those that are making it difficult for the church to thrive. But we see that throughout Scripture. In Romans 13, we see, let every person be subject to governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. And so in Scripture, we see that authorities, civil authorities, are ordained by God. They are put in place by God. And, and there's times that we disagree with them. And in our case, in a democracy, we, we voice our disagreement and we vote. But there are times that we disagree so strongly with them and we think, well, I, I don't have to submit to them then. I don't have to respect them. And we forget that they were told to pray for and submit to Nero. Obama is not Nero. He is our president and we are to pray for him. And I am ashamed sometimes of how the church 
responds to authorities we disagree with. Because we are harming the gospel when we do. And the things that we say and the things that we do are horrendous at times because they cross the line of disagreement to disrespect. And God's Word says, pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Pray for wisdom in this verse when it, when it talks about so that you may lead a quiet life and a respectful life. That's praying for wisdom that they will lead well. Do we pray for our leaders? Or do we make fun of them? And as we make fun of them, as we call them names, we are sinning. And we are disobeying God's Word. And I stop on this because it's an issue. It's an issue. I have friends that I have blocked on Facebook because I'm tired of hearing it. Because it's wrong. And I'm not saying I agree with President Obama or Governor Brown. I'm saying that I am going to pray for them, even though I disagree with them. Do we take God's Word seriously when it says, pray for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful in quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. See, God has given them a job, and He's given them a job of maintaining civil order. And so the prayer here is in the context of being entrusted with the Gospel, Lord, I pray for them so that the environment can be such that I can share the Gospel. Our purpose in life is not to disagree with the governing officials. Our purpose in life is to share the gospel. I'm not saying we shouldn't disagree. We absolutely can, can voice our opinion in a, in a rightful way, in a respectful way. We absolutely should vote. I, I think every Christian should vote and be part of that process. But we mix up our priorities and we become political activists when we should be gospel activists. And we take so much time and effort and it is destroying the gospel. We only have so much time. How are we going to choose to spend it? I so appreciated Prayer Sunday a few weeks ago and in listening to some of the leaders of, of the prayers that were happening, I appreciated that people stepped out and prayed for our government. Our federal government, our state government, people that we do disagree with and fundamentally have biblical disagreements with but we were willing to pray for them. One of the effects of praying for our governing authorities is not only does it God say it's effective in, in His work, but it also changes our attitudes. When we pray for, for government that we disagree with, our attitudes are a little less rebellious. When we pray for somebody that we're having issues with and we pray that God would, would be a blessing in their life and work in their life, our attitude changes. See, a good test of our own attitude in a conflict is if we can pray for the person and pray blessings for that person. I challenge us this week to look at how we talk about our officials. Are we respectful? Are we praying for them? Because God is who ordained them, who appointed them to that. And they aren't making any decisions that are outside of the knowledge of God. And they aren't making any decisions that surprise God. 
In fact, every decision they make, whether we agree with it or not, is a decision that God is choosing to use in His plan so that His glory is shown in the world and that His gospel is made known. Changes our perspective, doesn't it? Let's keep what's important important and our purpose as His purpose. Verse 2 goes on and it says what to pray for. And there's two different phrases there. The first is that we lead peaceful and quiet lives. And he's talking about an environment there, an environment that allows us to share the gospel. This isn't saying quiet in terms of silent and we should just hole up in our own little world and do nothing. Um, The idea of these words is freedom from turmoil that comes from without. And so it's praying that the environment will be such that there isn't strife and riots and all these things that are keeping us from sharing the gospel. Freedom from the turmoil that threatened to thwart ministry. And again, the purpose is to share the gospel. Some say, well, this is a very selfish prayer. He's not saying pray that you have a good life so you can enjoy it and be happy. He's saying pray that the environment is such that you can be about your mission. That you can be entrusted with the gospel. Pray that the nation would remain quiet and peaceable so that believers can continue with their work of spreading the gospel. That is a prayer worth praying. The next phrase goes on, peaceful and quiet life, and then godly and dignified in every way. And the words there are the idea of living for Christ in an external way. Being genuine, visibly. Christianity in action. Dignified as the idea of proper conduct. And so those are both behavior that can be seen by the world so that they will see Christ in us. So do we pray for our officials, but do we pray specifically for an environment that allows us to share the gospel. Think about how many times Paul's ministry was stopped because of riots. A whole number of times. In fact, we have six times at least in Acts where he's preaching and then riots happen, there's an uprising, and he has to leave the city and ministry is is terminated. No, No, other people carried it on. So Paul was very familiar with this. In fact, in Ephesus, where Timothy is, where he's writing... In Acts 19 and 20, we see the story that that, um, Paul is there and he's ministering and there's this whole disturbance because the um, commerce of the time was based on these false gods and they were afraid Paul was challenging their way of life. And so they're creating these riots. And and in Acts 19, 23, about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. So this was a big deal. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus... Who is there who, do, who does not know that the city of Ephesus is a temple keeper to the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? And he goes on, the official goes on to calm them down, saying basically, let, let, let our God fight for himself. We're good. Now, their God was a false God, but the governing official was calming things down. And in fact, at the end of the story, when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. He stopped the riot. And what was the result in Acts 20? After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and he encouraged them. He encouraged them. And so ministry was able to go on in some form. Now, now things were still 
in an uproar, and so then he eventually said farewell and departed from Macedonia. But we see what, that Paul firsthand knew what a leader could do, even an unsaved leader, when he led well. It's about the gospel, not what political party we are, not who's winning. It's about the gospel. Pray for opportunities to share. This week, pray that God would give you conversations that would lead to the gospel with people. Pray that the environment would be right. We we think of praying for our own needs, but this is praying big for the world to know Christ and then for an environment to share Christ. Then we get to verses 3 and 4. Pray for God's heart for the lost. Pray for God's heart for the lost. Salvation is God's desire. See, if we're to be about the battle, we have to believe in the battle. We have to believe in the cause. We have to have God's heart. Verse 3 says, this is good. And he's coming back to praying all kinds of prayers for all people. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And these verses are the core of this passage, of these seven verses, the center point, the most important thing. God desires all people to come to Him, to be saved, to come to a knowledge, uh, not only just a cognitive knowledge, but an understanding and an application of the truth. And Paul uses some some really neat words here. In verse 3, this is good, or it's beautiful, it's admirable. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. He receives it gladly. And so we, we get this picture of as we pray for salvation for the world, as we pray for opportunities, as we pray, God smiles. He is pleased. He is thrilled that His children are obeying. You know, if we, if we need a reason to pray, that one should do it. There's more, but that one should do it, that it pleases God. It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. And Paul uses God our Savior again to remind us of, of what we're entrusted with, of the mission. That God's mission was to save. That Jesus Christ came to earth to save sinners. And so we please God by making His priority our priority. And then verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's all kinds of things we could say about this and get into big theological discussions, and I, I would love to do that, but not in ten minutes. But I'll just say a couple things. What Paul is not saying here is that all will be saved. He's saying that God wants all to be saved. He desires His heart is for all to come to Him. We know, and from the verses that follow, we know that those people must receive the payment of Jesus Christ and must repent and must trust Him as their Savior. But God does not want anyone to perish. Is that our heart? Do we think about praying for missions and those that need to be saved? Is this a priority? And that's challenging for me. 
That's challenging. And if that isn't our heart, then we pray that it becomes our heart. Then our prayer is, God, help me to see the world like you see the world with your eyes. Spurgeon does a great job of describing this point. He says, one thing more. The soul winner must be a master of the art of prayer. You cannot bring souls to God if you go not to God yourself. You must get your battle axe and your weapon of war from the armory of sacred communion with Christ. If you are much alone with Jesus, you will catch His Spirit. You will be fired with the flame that burned in His breast and consumed His life. You will weep with the tears that fell upon Jerusalem when He saw it perishing. And if you cannot speak so eloquently as He did, yet shall there be about what you say somewhat of the same power which in him thrilled the hearts and awoke the consciousness, consciences of men. What a great way of describing it. If we are not with Christ much, we won't have his heart. If we're struggling as a church to think in terms of reaching a lost world for him, then go to God and pray that our heart changes. It is his desire. Finally, point number four, let Christ's incredible work in your life motivate you to pray and to do. Let Christ's incredible work in your life motivate you to pray and to do. He saved us and He entrusted us. And so that becomes our our mission, our passion. Reading verses 5-7, through For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. We'll stop there for a moment. So Paul keeps coming back to the Gospel because that's the mission. And I hope we don't get bored with that. I hope we don't come to a point and say, well, I'm saved. I got my fire insurance. I'm good to go. I can live life how I want now. No, because then our mission isn't his mission. Look at what Paul is doing. He keeps coming back and he gives a summary of the Gospel. Back to basics like Vince Lombardi did with the team one time he was coaching the Green Bay Packers and they had just had a horrendous loss. Team comes back in and expects to just be blasted. And Vince Lombardi goes to the center and he picks up a football. He says, this is a football. And he goes back to basics and says, let's relearn what's important. That's what Paul is doing here. He's bringing us back to basics. There is one God referencing the Shema in Deuteronomy. But he's also not only reaffirming the Jewish description of God, but if there's one God, then that God is for everybody. Remember they were having problems with divisions and some of the Jews in the church as well didn't want the Gentiles to be saved or thought they had to become Jews. The Judaizers that were there. And so there is one God and He is the God of all men. He's not exclusive to me and my little group. There's one way to salvation. Those of you that are Wildwood, did you say the Shema every day? Twice every day. Okay. There is one God. Then he goes on to say there's one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. And a mediator is a go-between. And it implies that we can't get salvation on our own, which is so important to understand. Nothing you or I can do can bring salvation to to ourselves. 
because we're sinners. The penalty is death. And Paul reminds them there is one mediator. There is only one way, and that way is through Jesus Christ. And he, he is the only way because He is the only one that paid the price and paid the ransom in our place for our lives. That removes the separation caused by our own sin and brings reconciliation between us and God. He is the only way. There's some that are inclusivists out there that think, okay, every religion leads to God as long as you practice it sincerely. No, there is one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It's only through belief in Jesus Christ that eternity with God is secured. One mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And in that little phrase, Paul affirms both the humanity of Christ and the divinity of Christ. And he goes on to say, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. He paid the price voluntarily. He gave himself. And that payment is, a, is efficient. That, that payment is powerful. That payment can completely cover our sins. It's sufficient for all, but applied to those who believe. And so we see Paul coming back to basics, that this sacrifice, ransom of Christ, is the testimony, the proof of God's desire that all will be saved, and it came at just the right time. And Paul goes on in verse 7 to say, this is what my life's about. And he uses himself as an example. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I am not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Jesus Christ came to save all, not just the ones we like, not just the group we think deserve it. He came to save all. And our heart should be that all would receive Christ. Let Christ's incredible work in your life motivate you to pray and to do. See, when we think of executing our mission of being entrusted with the Gospel, the starting point isn't strategy. The starting point is prayer. Jim Elliot said, the saint who advances on his knees never retreats. I pray that that's true of our church. So I'd like to end our service this morning just with the minute or two we have left to pray. And specifically to pray for VBS this week. Because VBS is an opportunity we have to share the gospel with those that don't know him, with those kids that don't know him. Some parents will come and hear the gospel. And we start with prayer. The effectiveness of this week will hinge on whether we are on our knees. I'm convinced of it. If I could have all those that are helping with VBS this week, would you just stand for a moment? Anyone helping with VBS in any capacity this week? Would you stand? I'd like to pray for you. We'd like to pray for you. Dear Lord God, our Father, I pray for these 30, 40 people that are standing, that are committing to giving a week of their time to helping share the gospel with our neighborhood. To help people that have never heard to hear about you, to hear that you died on the cross in our place, that you are the ransom for our sins, Lord. I pray that souls would be won this week 
because we are on our knees praying and because we are doing and sharing God's Word. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to what we have been entrusted with, to live it and to share it. Lord, I pray that you would work mightily this week. Help us to pray for them all week. Lord, I pray that next Sunday when we come together, we are praising you for the work that you have accomplished, for the souls that have come to you. Lord, I pray for a lost world that they would be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.